All right, uh, tonight uh, we're doing something a little different. Uh, we took a short break from Isaiah, and we're going to go back to uh, Isaiah. I'm doing some more studying. I think we'll finish out through chapter 11, uh, 12 in Isaiah. 12 is only six verses, and uh, so we'll take kind of like a broad look at that because some of it's relevant to, uh, to the prophecy of uh, Emmanuel. Uh, and so last week I was... Just introducing some concepts, uh, ideas on the uh, law uh, and how to uh, better understand uh, the positive statements in Scripture and the negative statements uh, because uh, Paul makes both. Sometimes he's very much for the law, as we discussed. Uh, Generally, when they use the word uh, law, uh, talking about the Old Testament, they're talking generally about the Torah, uh, the five books of uh, Moses, uh, which has different aspects, things you can focus on. But uh, as we were seeing, uh, Paul can talk about the law, uh, just even think of the phrase, uh, the law in the prophets, which is short for the law, the prophets, the writings, uh, the, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketavim, law, prophets, writings, Uh, the uh, law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, uh, which I think you find in Luke 24 uh, with uh, Christ speaking uh, to the disciples on uh, the road to Emmaus or or, uh, just after that uh, in the the upper room. And those were the the divisions, how they looked at uh, the scriptures of their day uh, that they uh, possessed. Uh, in the law, or Moses, uh, Moses uh, is the primary author uh, of the, the Torah. Uh, he was the, uh, originally at Sinai, before the whole Torah existed, uh, he was the giver of the law. He brought the Ten Commandments. Uh, he uh, spoke all the words that God had for them. Uh, he uh, brought and taught them the Book of the Covenant, uh, which I think it's chapters around 21 through Uh, 23 or 24 in Exodus, uh, which kind of expands on the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are a summary of the the Book of the Covenant. Uh, And uh, he also, uh, God had him uh, tell uh, tell Joshua uh, this curse uh, on uh, Agag of the Amalekites. Uh, I can't remember, uh, Joshua may have written that one down in a a scroll, uh, to uh, later to Joshua at the end of their 40 years, around 1406, uh, Deuteronomy at that time, uh, Moses preached. Uh, and so uh, at first, as far as we know, it was something that was uh, preached and taught, basically a series of uh, uh, several uh, sermons uh, that he delivered. And then at the end, God says to have Joshua write down this song in a book or, or a scroll. Uh, and it's the sometimes called the Song of Moses or the Song of Yahweh uh, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, which uh, related Israel's history uh, and God bringing them out of Egypt, redeeming them, taking them as his own people, them rebelling, and ultimately, God's, well, he's going to give them over, scare them in the nations, judge them, but ultimately, for his own namesake, he's going to take them back. Have Joshua write uh, in a book. And at that time, it wasn't part of uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, and so, uh, and even like with Ithamar, uh, he had Ithamar and Bezalel at the beginning of their 40 years uh, write down uh, 
like the contributions for the tabernacle uh, as the contributions were made. And Ithamar was the son of, uh, I think, uh, Eliezer, uh, Aaron's son, uh, or, or was it Ithamar and Eliezer were uh, Aaron's other sons, yeah, after Nadab and uh, Abihu who, who died. Uh, and so Moses worked with the priests. He worked with Joshua, who was kind of his assistant, his right-hand man, uh, to uh, write down these materials, compile them, the poems and such. And then uh, by uh, around the, the end of his life, uh, all these things uh, come together and he's teaching. Uh, and then uh, maybe a bit uh, just into the conquest with Joshua, uh, where you find little, little tiny sections like in Deuteronomy that hold Moses' sermons together, but uh, they may have uh, written it down like right around uh, that very uh, very time. And so uh, Moses was the uh, the prime author. He was the deliverer uh, of uh, the uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant. And you can go through it, lists a whole bunch of things where it either says, like in Leviticus, it'll say either God told Moses to tell the people, and Moses tells the people, or uh, he has Moses write down in a book, or he'll say God wrote down, you know, for the, the Ten Commandments, or have Joshua write, or uh, again and again throughout. And uh, we'll be looking at that in Genesis, uh, where you can see all of these materials that, that were forming, uh, and then through the wilderness, uh, Moses, uh, probably working with his assistant Joshua, uh, and even some of the priests, maybe as kind of like scribes, uh, they, because they kept. Uh, they kept the uh, the book that uh, the Torah, uh, as Moses gave to them, and they were to copy it and to oversee the copying by kings and such. But um, the point is, however, that uh, all of these things, it, it was uh, Moses and the prophets, Moses, the prophets, Psalms, uh, the five books of Moses is the Torah, the, uh, the law. And it's not just legal bits. It's not just little legal bits. But you find narrative, uh, you find a genealogy, uh, you find uh, poetry, uh, you find commandments, uh, instruction, their own history. Uh, and you get in trouble if you just start, even in under the Old Covenant, if you read the Torah as just merely legal bits. Well, you just have to keep these legal bits. That's the Torah. No, it's in a bigger framework of God's salvation of his people, uh, their need for circumcised hearts, uh, their powerlessness in and of themselves uh, in their own natural humanity apart from God's spirit to uh, to keep a God's law. Uh, they needed circumcised hearts. They needed their sins forgiven. Uh, and God gave provision uh, like on the Day of Atonement and such, but even those things couldn't perfect them. But they could trust that God would uh, ultimately uh, save them from their uh, sins. And so uh, that's just talking about the unity of the, the law, uh, the, the Torah, and since uh, since we have we only had two people here last week and they're not here, uh, we'll we'll uh, just re, we'll revisit uh, one passage and then we'll finish up one we were looking at. Look at uh, Galatians 4, toward the end of it. 
And we won't go through in depth, uh, but I just want to point a couple things out. And then if you want to hear, hear more, the audio is online. Okay, so in Galatians, of course, uh, there, uh, Paul's proclaimed the, the gospel uh, to uh, these people. Uh, they're uh, primarily Gentiles, uh, although uh, many of them may have been uh, God-fearers. Uh, maybe some proselytes, maybe who converted to Judaism, uh, but God-fearers uh, who, uh, the men, they didn't receive like circumcision. They didn't make the full conversion, but they feared the God of uh, Israel. Uh, they recognized him as the one true living creator God. Uh, and then pagan Gentiles, too, who uh, didn't uh, know, know God. And they were uh, turning back as uh, some uh, some. Uh, primarily uh, Jewish uh, professing believers uh, who uh, really were uh, false teachers uh, went in after Paul uh, and they were teaching that uh, you need to keep the Torah uh, as law covenant uh, and that they needed to receive circumcision and, and keep the Sabbaths and uh, and uh, uh, observe the, the Torah uh, as, the, as the, uh, the law covenant, basically, uh, underneath it. And so Paul said they were going away from Christ. Uh, if you add one thing to the sufficiency of Christ, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, then you're cut off from Christ. Uh, in the very next chapter, if, if you receive circumcision, you'll be of no value to you. Uh, you're cut off from Christ. You've, you've fallen from grace. You add one thing to the sufficiency of Christ as uh, the only source of all the blessings of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. You add one thing to the sufficiency of, of Christ, then it's over. That's a false gospel. Uh, that's another gospel. And so Paul's been uh, in, instructing them uh, and chastising them and, uh, and preaching the gospel to them, calling them back uh, to, uh, to the gospel that, uh, that they had received. Uh, and here, uh, he, he's going to draw from Scripture in verse uh, 21. Uh, listen to this. Tell me, uh, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? That's kind of interesting. Uh, tell me you who desire to be under the law. That's a bad thing. Uh, they don't want to go back under, under the law. Uh, they don't want to go back under uh, the, the law, the Torah, as law covenant, as legal code, uh, as law that brings a curse upon them. Do you not listen to the law? Now he's going to instruct them from the Torah. That's positive. So you have, you have negative and then positive. You're, you're not listening to the Torah that you're trying to go back under. Uh, and be uh, be bound to uh, as as covenant. Uh, and we were talking about a scholar, Brian S. Uh, Rosner, uh, who has summarized this very well, where uh, he basically says Paul does three things uh, with the Torah. Uh, he polemically repudiates uh, the Torah, the law, as law covenant, as legal code. The law as law uh, that brings a curse upon them. 
uh, polemically repudiates. Polemical, it's sort of uh, an aggressive form of argumentation uh, where you're not playing all nice. Uh, ironic is kind of the opposite, uh, peaceful, uh, but uh, an aggressive form of argumentation. And the apostles uh, and the prophets do this when they encounter false teachers. Not necessarily just, just unbelievers, but when they deal with false teachers and those who profess to be Christians and come into the church and lead people away, uh, their argumentation gets very aggressive. And some of it, uh, I mean, they're drawing from the biblical, so it's not just logical fallacy, but ad hominem. You know, they'll, uh, uh, they'll basically, they, they go on the attack against these uh, false, uh, false uh, teachers and call them things like mists. And uh, they have uh, names for them and like a sow that goes back to the, the mud and rolls, rolls around in it uh, after being washed. And some of that, they're, they're drawing from like Proverbs and such, but uh, it's, it's a polemical uh, and so Paul polemically repudiates uh, the law uh, as law covenant. Uh, second, he radically replaces the law as uh, what Brian S. Rosner calls sometimes theological motif, meaning uh, themes, uh, motif, uh, uh, things that's about uh, where contrasting uh, old covenant uh, Mosaic, Sinaitic Covenant uh, emphases with a New Covenant uh, emphases uh, where he'll replace. And so things like uh, we're, uh, we'll be seeing some, but he says uh, that uh, we no longer live uh, in the old way of the written code, but the new way of the Spirit, says then Romans uh, 7. Uh, not the law written on tablets of human flesh, but on, or on, <laughs> that's the opposite. Not, not on uh, tablets of stone, but on tablets of human flesh. He says then, 2 Corinthians, uh, he talks about faith working through, through love. Uh, and so not, not by, uh, not by uh, works, uh, not, uh, not, uh, uh, as a form of salvation, but in the new covenant, God says that he's going to uh, write his law on his people's heart. Uh, he's going to put his spirit in them and cause them to walk in his commandments. Uh, he's going to sprinkle them with clean water. Uh, he's going to forgive their sins and remember them no more. Uh, they will no longer uh, say, as he says in Jeremiah 31, uh, they will no longer uh, say to one another, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, uh, says the Lord God, Yahweh God. Uh, basically saying, they will know me. I will teach them. I'll teach them by my, my spirit. And so it's not like people where they're going astray uh, under the old covenant, which was a mixed covenant, uh, because God never, he circumcised hearts under the old covenant, but he never promised that he would circumcise every last individual's heart who is a physical descendant who receives circumcision. Uh, he, he never promised that he would forgive the sins of every last individual, although he forgave sins uh, under the, uh, the old covenant uh, and ultimately uh, with the sacrifice of, of Christ. Uh, and so there are all these, uh, Paul radically replaces the law, the Torah, uh, as theological motif with these, these new covenant emphases. And really, uh, you could say like the, the new covenant. Uh, and some of these things, 
you, you, find, uh, you find it in Deuteronomy, uh, looking forward uh, and such. But with the New Covenant, there, uh, there is uh, a change. Uh, and then thirdly, and finally, he wholeheartedly reappropriates the Torah as scripture, uh, as wisdom, as prophecy, as a source of, of wisdom uh, for, uh, for uh, learning uh, how to uh, be pleasing to God, how to live uh, godly, godly lives uh, by the power of his uh, spirit. Uh, and so even like in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, uh, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Uh, not as, he doesn't wholeheartedly reappropriate it. And some of we could say retain, uh, because it, it was always a source of wisdom uh, and prophecy and teaching and instruction. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, there's a change to the extent that's consistent with God's character and work and purposes in creation and the teaching of Christ and his apostles and prophets, the new covenant of the Torah, uh, Paul says again and again, uh, it was written for our sake uh, to teach us. Uh, it's, uh, it's profitable for training in righteousness, uh, the, the Torah, uh, not as law covenant, but as, as scripture. Uh, it's God-breathed scripture. And so just uh, look here. Uh, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, as law covenant, do you not listen to the law? And now he's going to instruct him. And where, where is he uh, drawing from? Uh, listen. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. It is written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Well, a slave woman is Hagar, who is uh, Sarah's uh, servant. Uh, and the uh, free woman, Sarah, or Sarai uh, at that time, Avram and Sarai. Uh, and what book does that come from? Genesis. Does it come from just legal bits, legal code? No, it's historical narrative uh, that, that Abraham uh, went through with the, uh, with the birth of uh, Ishmael under uh, Hagar, uh, who wasn't, wasn't the son promised by, uh, by uh, Yahweh. And Isaac uh, through Sarah, who is the, the promised offspring, the, the promised seed through which God would preserve uh, and uh, one day uh, ultimately restore and bring his, bless, his creation blessing to its fullness. Uh, it's from Genesis. And so it doesn't come from Sinai or from after Sinai. It doesn't come from uh, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And after that time, uh, this is... About 430 years before that time. Over 400 years before that time. It comes from Genesis. And Paul's talking about, do you not listen to the law? He's instructing them from the Torah. And so uh, some have tried to just divide law into, uh, you, you have uh, with the, uh, the Mosaic law, and some of it reflected uh, before, like in creation, uh, the Ten Commandments, you have the moral law, and then you have the civil law, the ceremonial law. Uh, Christ fulfilled the ceremonial. Uh, we no longer keep the civil uh, because uh, 
Uh, Israel is no longer a nation. We're not under a theocracy. You're just left with the moral law. So we keep the, the Ten Commandments and, and maybe, maybe some other moral principles that are uh, expand on, uh, on that. But that's not so much how the biblical uh, authors saw the Torah. Uh, they didn't just divide it up into little legal chunks or legal bits or just these commandments. Yeah, the Torah has commandments, uh, has legal code. Uh, yeah, uh, but they saw the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy. And so he's drawing, instructing them from Genesis positively, although he just said, uh, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And then he, he corrects them and shows that through faith, uh, Abraham, he's, he's father of uh, Gentiles who believe and Jews, those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised through, uh, through faith and, and come to believe in the promises of, uh, of God. Uh, in uh, saying that the, the earthly Jerusalem corresponds to Mount Sinai, uh, to Hagar, to Ishmael, who wasn't in the, uh, the promised, uh, promised line. Uh, and that's the, by and large, uh, the nation, uh, by and large, unbelieving at that time uh, in their leadership, uh, who wanted to stay under the old covenant. They didn't want the new. Uh, they didn't want to trust in Christ alone. And so uh, we talked about that much more, but I'd like to uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, if you're interested, uh, that's uh, on, online on the Gospel of Grace Fellowship website. And we also touched on uh, a couple things in uh, uh, Ephesians too. Now here, uh, Paul is uh, in First Corinthians chapter nine. Uh, in chapters eight through ten, he's instructing the Corinthians uh, on and really answering questions on uh, meat uh, sacrifice to idols. Uh, so, well, chapter eight, verse one. Now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, know then idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And so he goes on. Uh, this is as he's answering uh, questions and issues that came up in, in Corinth. Uh, to instruct them, uh, and this deals with issues of a uh, Christian liberty, uh, and so for some, uh, there there are multiple considerations. Uh, they had certain uh, weaker brothers, uh, where uh, maybe uh, there was meat that had been offered uh, to idols in the temple, uh, but then since the idol wouldn't eat the meat, because uh, idols don't eat, <laughs> but uh, since it wouldn't eat the meat. Might end up in the, the marketplace, be sold. Uh, and can we can we eat that? What, and what if what if an unbeliever uh, invites us over or uh, a Gentile, and uh, we go to eat there, and he buys meat from the meat market, and it had been offered titles? Can we eat that? Would would we be sinning, or is, would that be idolatry? Uh, and because they know all things are from God, uh, Paul basically says, well, no, 
eat the meat. Uh, don't, don't ask questions. Uh, you can eat the meat. Uh, but there are other considerations where they have weaker brothers who, coming out of their pagan backgrounds, participating actually in the temple, uh, the, the pagan temples, pagan sacrifices, uh, fellowship with these, uh, with these false uh, deities, uh, they might think that by uh, eating meat that was then later sold in the marketplace, it makes them think back about participating in these sacrifices, about their idolatry, uh, and it, it would offend or inflict their conscience uh, to, to, to do that and think that they're sinning against God. Uh, and so Paul's cautioning them, yeah, you have knowledge. Uh, you, you have knowledge that, uh, that there's the one true creator, God, and he's, uh, he's, uh, he's the one God, and he, uh, he's the creator and source of all things, and that you have the freedom to, to, to eat this meat. But for your weaker brothers, whose consciences would be offended, the loving thing to do might be don't eat the meat. Don't, don't, don't encourage, don't entice them to eat what they think would be a sin for them to do so that they don't uh, rebel against their conscience. And hopefully over time, their conscience is informed more and more by Scripture so that they'll, they'll come to know and understand their liberty. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Well, I, just because this comes, has come up, I'm yeah. interested in your opinion on a, a situation where we see today mm-hmm. where people will go like to a Catholic Mass, Yeah. but they will, in their mind, go thinking, well, I know it isn't the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. it's just a remembrance. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a flip So would they, would they, would they take, so they take the Mass? Take, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which they know that they don't. Paul addresses that in chapter ten. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so then dealing with with this this issue of of liberty, addressing the the weaker brother, you know maybe meet it in the that makes its way to the marketplace and uh, then into someone's home and then it's served. Um, then chapter nine, which we'll be looking at primarily, Paul uses himself as an example, talking about his own freedom uh, as an apostle. Uh, he and Barnabas. Uh, they could take a believing wife. Uh, they could, uh, they could take some provision from the receive some provision from the churches for preaching the gospel, uh, just as Christ taught. Uh, but they don't, they don't exercise uh, this liberty. In fact, they give it up to even preach the gospel for free. Uh, to not lay any obstacle in front of uh, any any believer, anyone in the church, anyone outside the church, and so they have liberty, but they don't. They don't exercise it uh, for the sake of the the gospel and and uh, out of love uh, for uh, for others. And so he uses himself as an example. Then chapter ten, uh, because they could misunderstand and uh, uh, lest they be mistaken, uh, he needs to caution them: your liberty is not the liberty to participate in pagan sacrifices in rituals and false idolatrous religion that's going beyond uh, your your liberty uh, and so you can't you can't go to the temples and you can't uh, participate uh, in these feasts uh, you, you can't uh, eat you can't participate in the sacrifices uh, you can't participate in that uh, act of idolatry and serving in fellowship with these 
uh, pagan deities, with these idols, with demons. Uh, demons are behind the, uh, the idols. And so there are limits. It's, it's a tense, careful, careful issue. And so that would be to, to go uh, participate uh, in the Roman Catholic uh, Mass. Uh, that's a false gospel uh, because the Mass teaches uh, that uh, that basically uh, what the, the priest is uh, doing in the, uh, in the, the Mass uh, is he has uh, the sacramental authority as an alter Christus, as another Christ, to bring the Son of God out of heaven, off his throne, onto the altar to sacrifice him, to repeat the one sacrifice, but it's a, it's a repetition, of the, the one sacrifice uh, of Christ in a bloodless sacrifice uh, in the uh, the uh, host, uh, the, the, the bread, uh, the, the wine uh, are transubstantiated into the actual body, physical body and blood of Christ uh, in, uh, not in their accidents, how they appear, uh, but, but in their actual substance, what they are, uh, the actual physical body and blood of, of Christ. Uh, and uh, in the Mass, uh, it's done, who knows how many, hundreds of thousands of times, millions of times. You know, there's supposedly over a billion Roman Catholics, all, although like so many churches and such, many are really uh, dedicated or even understanding or, or believing at all, uh, following the teachings. But again and again, day after day, week after week, year after year, and it perfects no one. Uh, in fact, they add the, uh, well, it's one, one of the seven sacraments, but they add the other six sacraments as a source of grace. Uh, they add, uh, on top of it, the treasury of merit of all the saints. Not just the merit of Christ, but there are saints, quote-unquote, uh, these super-pious uh, Christians who had an abundance of righteousness, an excess, more than needed to enter into heaven, that goes into the treasury of merit, and it's dispensed through indulgences and through all these uh, sacraments. Uh, and then, in the end, you know, almost everyone, uh, if you don't go, go to hell and, and have, like, unforgiven mortal sin, which, uh, as I think James White said, they, they don't even define what all of those are, that you then go to purgatory uh, where you have to pay off or, or be refined in the fires of purgatory, uh, your, uh, your uh, remaining uh, temporal uh, sins uh, until they're washed away. However many uh, tens, hundreds, thousands of, of years, uh, however long it uh, takes. Uh, and then uh, when they're made righteous uh, in, in infused with righteousness, then they can go into heaven in, uh, in God's presence. And so uh, the Mass saves no one. Uh, it saves absolutely no one. It's utterly insufficient, meaning it's not enough. Uh, and uh, again and again. Well, and back to Luann's question, too. Yep. It, the words that the priest says mm -hmm. are important, too, because it's his words that do the transubstantiation, mm -hmm. that cause that to happen. So... 
Christ, the Christ that they preach is definitely not part of the decision, not, you know, willingly going to the mm -hmm, cross, mm -hmm. and so very, very different Christ he, besides. Yeah, he, he has the, the authority to bring them down. How awesome is the authority of the priest? I, I remember James White reading from some, uh, some of their uh, theologians and, and such. Uh, so, Paul, yeah, Paul addresses that in uh, chapter, chapter 10. Mm -hmm. But I just happened to have been talking to yeah. a disgruntled Catholic today. Mm -hmm. But he was telling me that the little community Catholic church down there might have to be replacing their stained glass windows because they're and so they're needing five thousand dollars or something for that. And when you talk about these indulgences and these, they still exist. The the Pope, uh, I remember reading, was giving them out on Twitter uh, for those who'd follow him. Those who'd follow him on on Twitter. Twitter, you know, yeah, I want, to look, I want to look the story up again, but it was within the last couple of years or so. Well, I just think, I mean, really, if your heart, just even if one shred of that system was true, but you'd be so concerned about wanting to pay for those people to get out, you wouldn't care about your stained glass windows or your new car mm -hmm. in the church. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because there are families anguishing, wondering if their two widows might is going to get their loved one out. I mean, it's just, it is such a bondage. And paying, paying for, for them to, thing. for them to pray for them like each, right. uh, each week and, and such. And so, yeah, it's, it's severe, uh, severe bondage. Uh, people under it, you have to make the distinction between false teachers uh, and those who are uh, under uh, the false teaching. And uh, like all of us, apart from, apart from God, apart from his spirit, uh, we like to have our ears tickled. Uh, we uh, were naturally attracted to idolatry and false gods and uh, systems of, of works. And eventually, a lot of those who are misled by false teachers will eventually become false teachers themselves. However, just recognizing the difference where you see the biblical authors, uh, when it comes to false teachers who, you know, they they're, they're, know what they're doing, they're preaching a false gospel, uh, they come out much stronger uh, against them. Uh, but then uh, people who are misled and, and led astray, uh, they need the gospel. They need our compassion because uh, we were uh, all uh, under some false teaching of our, our own, you know, gods of our, our own making. And I know my family, uh, we uh, attended a Roman Catholic Church from for some time and uh, my mother grew up in a uh, Roman Catholic church uh, for uh, some some years. So there, there are many uh, in, in our church uh, who come, come from that background. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to keep going on. No, this. no, it's okay. But being that you were Catholic for quite a few years, how do you know when you paid enough indulgences? I mean, does the, I mean, does the priest say you owe $39? $39, and this guy's good to go. I mean, how do they know? What are they? You know, the hardest part about being Catholic is that uh, up until the moment you die, you risk that you're not going to go to heaven. You know, I mean, if you don't get to confession, if you don't, you know, get all these things, you know, so, so when you go to confession each week, you know, but then you sin again, you know, you, you have to get back to confession. You have to go confess again and things like that. And so... I mean, we used to talk about what happens if you're in a car accident and you're unconscious and you didn't get to confess. And we used to really worry about stuff like that. Or, um, 
or they would pray for people, you know, and so we had uh, two widows living across the street who had no family, and as a girl, I would worry, you know, I have a large family, I have a lot of people to pray me into heaven. Mm -hmm. Who's going to pray for them? And then the McDonough's have 13 kids. Wow, they get a lot of prayer. <laughs> you know, I mean, I used to really anguish over the old people in our church who had no family, that if they, if something happens and, you know, they, they, they're in purgatory, you know, who's going to pray for them? And then the priest would say, well, we have a certain number of prayers that go for them, too. That's why we oh. pray mm -hmm. for the dead. Mm -hmm. You hear about that with the Mormons, yeah. right? I never yeah. thought about that as a Catholic, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not necessarily a money issue, then, so much? It's more of a prayer issue. I, I thought that they all kinds of obligation, all kinds of obligation of different types. And so, you know, if we if we you know, paid for um, you know, the little tabula things that we wore mm -hmm. or things like that, we knew that was all earning us merit. But it's just it's it, you're on you're on the rat bill. Mm -hmm. You're just running, running, running. Mm -hmm. You know. So yeah, we just had a guy mm -hmm. last one. I promise. Oh no. But he did some work in the house for us. And his son, his brother had died when, this guy's like 40. He had a brother who died very young. I don't know how old he was. Yeah. And his mother had passed away like five years ago. But before he could come out to our house one night, he had to, they were doing a mass for those two. And, you know, and it was just so, because you don't, I mean, totally knowing it's wrong. But what I struggled with was, because his whole mindset is thinking if he doesn't do that, his mom's not getting out of purgatory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to smash that, the reality is she's probably in hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, and how do you tell him that? You know, you can't tell him that because we certainly don't know. But the, it, well, we uh, we definitely have to speak the the truth. Where I think it was maybe Charles Spurgeon or. Uh, talking about just like the thief on the cross mm -hmm. okay who's the thief on the cross there's only one mm -hmm. that we that we read about mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. could someone uh, on their deathbed uh maybe they heard the gospel mm -hmm. and you know just before they close their eyes uh, they they repent and, and trust in christ and they're redeemed uh yeah uh, the uh god can certainly save people uh, through uh, through the gospel, you know, if, if they've heard it. However, uh, that's not the that's not the, the, the ordinary means. And, and also we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't I mean the gospel is, but we would have absolutely no reason whatsoever to, to think that they had ever uh, professed uh, faith uh, in Christ as the, the perfect savior uh, that they, that they'd ever turn from their sins and uh, turn to to trust in him and him al him alone and uh, we have to say that we have in the case like that we have absolutely you know only God knows ultimately but we know what happens to people who don't trust uh, in Christ and him alone on um, they they go to hell they they pay for their uh, their own sins they come under condemnation. Uh, and all the sins that that they perform, but by performing and by uh, approving by the sins of others, by facilitating, making possible the, the sins of others, they share in their guilt too, on their their penalty. And so, like a sin, like abortion, which is uh, one of many very very 
uh, heinous uh, heinous sin, but uh, one of all the variety that uh, that we uh, commit. Some people think that. Well, some maybe go so far. Well, I'm, I'm personally pro-life, but for others, you know, I think I, I can't say it's not their choice or, or something like that. I'm not even talking about like politically uh, so much. I mean, it's an important political issue. If uh, if the the government doesn't punish and protect innocent human beings being killed, murdered, what has God appointed it for? That's that's what He's appointed it for uh, in Romans Romans 13. Uh, that's its purpose, but by facilitating, by approving, whether tacitly or uh, implicitly, explicitly, you then become a sharer and participant in those sins. Uh, And there were about 5 million uh, Jews killed in the Holocaust. Uh, If you take, think, uh, take the the Metrodome, uh, and if you fill it up uh, about 100 times, 100 Metrodomes, Filled up with people, gas them, shoot them in the back of the head, run them over with tractors, bury them alive. Uh, that's how many they killed in the, the Holocaust. Uh, but then uh, if you uh, take that uh, and I think uh, a, a thousand metrodomes fill them up, with people, just picture a thousand metrodomes jam-packed with people, every last seat. Uh, just in our country alone, that's about where we're at with, with abortion, uh, around 55, 55 million. And so when people approve and facilitate uh, those sins or, or participate uh, in all, all the ways that they, they can, uh, maybe boyfriends or someone encouraging their girlfriends or whatever, uh, they then become a sharer in that sin, in that guilt, uh, and they'll bear it. As Christ said, uh, that he's going to send uh, prophets and wise men to the Pharisees uh, whom they would persecute and kill and stone so that the blood of all the, uh, all the righteous, from the blood of Abel, righteous Abel, to the son or uh, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. Well, they didn't physically do it. It was hundreds of years before. But that's basically from Genesis, uh, and likely as many commentators say, through Chronicles. Uh, many think that they maybe thought of Chronicles as being more toward the end, although they didn't did different scrolls. Uh, but basically from beginning to end of all this history, all this guilt is going to come upon you because you participate in the sin of your fathers. And, and when we lie, uh, you're of your father, the devil. Uh, you become a sharer, a partaker in, in evil and sin. That's a small, small reason. Then you realize you're, you're sinning against and rebelling uh, against uh, the perfect creator God of the universe, uh, which is ultimate cosmic treason, Small reason why uh, why hell is uh, is forever, and so uh, not to digress, but I think when it comes to uh, whether uh, family members uh, or friends or acquaintances 
uh, to think very soberly about, you know, Scripture uh, tells us uh, what happens to, pe- to us if we die without our sins forgiven. We're, we're guilty. We, we come under condemnation like, like, anyone, like anyone else. Uh, and uh, for those who, who don't profess faith in, in Christ, we, we, don't, we don't have real reason or grounds to think that they were a disciple of, of Christ. And, you know, God knows ultimately uh, there, there could be some people, you know, uh, maybe some didn't know the thief on the cross was, uh, uh, came to, to believe at the, the end of his, uh, his life and acquaintances we don't know and such maybe as well anymore. But, um, but we shouldn't give people false uh, assurance uh, because that undermines the gospel. Uh, that undermines uh, how serious and grave uh, and weighty these things are and why we need the gospel and why we need to, to preach it and, and teach it. So and so uh, are we all still because the, the lights went out and it has a motion detector in this uh, room. Uh, oh, do, there, there we go. Oh, it can't see me. So. Um, and I was going to say, so first and foremost, you know, most of my family is still Catholic and most of the people I grew up with, I mean, many of my friends are Catholic of all different, you know, some very serious Catholics and then, you know, just like anything else, you know, but um, first and foremost, I focus on trying to share the gospel with them lovingly, you know, and not hit the other things first because they need to hear the gospel. You know, that's my prayer. Um, and, uh, but as you have opportunity then to talk to him, tell him the truth. Yeah. It, should, it, should be, it should motivate us uh, recognizing. Uh, and I just saw, watched, uh, I don't know if you've seen Ray Comfort's uh, movie that he had uh, come out, uh, Audacity. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Yeah, that one is focused more, more on the issue of homosexuality and uh, sexual sins, uh, trying to show in a biblically compassionate, uh, compassionate way you know, the need for the, the gospel, and that, well, you're born that way? So was I. You know, we, we, we're born with lust in our hearts, and uh, all of us, uh, whether for um, those to whom we're not married, to, uh, to, uh, to murder, to stealing evil desires, we're, we're all born that way. We all have this uh, problem. But uh, he had this... Uh, scene uh, where you have someone where there's an elevator that's out of service and in, in danger on uh, just warning don't let anyone walk into this elevator they might die uh, and uh, if someone like if a truck is coming on oncoming uh, traffic or uh, or a train or someone's driving and they don't realize the bridge is out of service and they're going to drive over it uh, even if it makes us uncomfortable, uh, we should, uh, speaking to myself, uh, we, we should get out and wave a sign and, you know, shout them, shout them down, you know, even uh, lest they go off the, the cliff without uh, any, uh, any warning. And so and there, there's a balance there uh, because I know uh, sometimes people have a tendency where they just want to say, well, you know, the thief on the cross or... or or maybe maybe they, they they believed and you know I I um 
but they end up giving false assurance, false hope, where I don't think scripture gives us that false assurance and false hope. You know, it, we're, not, we're not God. We're not the, uh, the ultimate, uh, ultimate judge. But as I think Spurgeon said, there's only one thief on, on the cross in, in, the, in the Bible. So James, so James White has a lot of good information that you might appreciate, you know, in preparing to talk to him. And then Mike Gendron yeah. as well, mm-hmm. both of them. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that they go to their way to accurately understand and represent what people believe so that they can communicate the gospel uh, to them. Uh, we can't use uh, arguments that are false. And when we find out we, we misunderstand something, uh, we, we have to correct it. All right, uh, let's get back to uh, Corinthians. And so in chapter 10, then, uh, Paul picks up on uh, idolatry, saying there's a, a limit uh, to their, uh, their liberty. Uh, and even, just as a quick comment, at the end of the chapter, it kind of works uh, into it uh, but when he goes into uh, verse 24, uh, chapter 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Uh, he goes on. If you look at chapter uh, 10, he, he gives some more analogies like that, not to become disqualified. He's later going to tell them uh, that they can't eat at the, uh, the there are those who went in the wilderness, uh, they were baptized into Moses. They went under the cloud, uh, as uh, Bob has, has taught through. They were disqualified by idolatry. They fell to idolatry and rebellion. So he's, he's warning them. And some, because of this chapter marker, don't connect uh, how this, uh, this works. And he could be developing out of what he was saying, but it connects in chapter 10. And so uh, chapter 10 is kind of, uh, the marker's in awkward Place. shows we have to kind of read across chapters. If you read verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1, or let's go back a verse. Uh, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Kind of use himself as an example. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. For. For supports what comes before. And sometimes if he's exhorting them, it might support the exhortation by giving motivational material, uh, showing God's empowerment by his spirit, uh, showing what Christ has done for us, uh, the hope that we, uh, we have, uh, the, uh, the, the, the power in Christ, uh, even giving maybe warnings or other things that motivate uh, for, for exhortations and give rationales for them. And so for supports... But sometimes if he's just teaching them something, not hortatory, but uh, which is motivational, uh, exhorting, but uh, if he's teaching something that's more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, sort of uh, expositional, didactic, just teaching them uh, maybe something he wants them to understand, to know. Uh, then it might it might give reasons, it might give... Uh, support for arguments, uh, all sorts of things. And so for supports, but it, it supports what comes before. Uh, the, uh, the, the bigger main point uh, is, is before, and it builds uh, off of that. And so 
The four here connects the two. Uh, and then just go down to, and we touched on this last week, but I'll just show you the structure since we're spending a little more time here and won't, won't have time to go into Romans. Uh, if you look at verse, let's see, 22, and then 23, that kind of goes into a new section where he ties all this teaching together on the weaker brother, uh, their Christian liberty, uh, that they have taken into account uh, things like love. What is, do you use your Christian liberty to love others? Do you use it to build up? Uh, and then watching out for idolatry and showing himself as an example. Uh, verse 21 and 22, finish this section. Uh, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And he goes into this next section. Although even here, uh, he, he says that uh, these things, if we were to read through, he's drawing from the, the, the Exodus narrative uh, and their, their rebellion. So he, he wholeheartedly reappropriates the Torah all of it, uh, the so-called, you know, um, moral, civil, ceremonial, uh, genealogies, historical narrative, all of it as scripture, as a source for wisdom, uh, moral guidance, instruction, uh, prophecy, as it's consistent with God's work and purposes in creation and teaching in the, the new covenant. And so this would be another example that we could look at of where Paul's positive uh, toward uh, the Torah. But then he transitions, tying everything uh, together. And so uh, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so, the, you know, maybe some of them are kind of like, all things are lawful, you know, with their Christian, Christian liberty. Uh, we're under the one true God. He's the creator of all things. All things are lawful. And so kind of asserting Christian liberty, but whether it's the Corinthians, but Paul's showing a, a balance. Okay, yeah, in the realm of Christian liberty, all things may, may be lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. You have to think about helping in your Christian liberty. Does it build up? Does it help help others? Do you use it to love others, to glorify God, uh, as we're going to see at the very end? And so he instructs, sum, summarizing, uh, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Go ahead. Don't worry about it. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. For Supports what he just said from, uh, from Scripture. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all from God. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So an unbeliever invites you to dinner, sets meat before you, don't ask questions. If it had been previously offered to idols, made its way to the meat market, they bought it, served it, uh, Within your Christian liberty, you're not participating in the temple sacrifices and uh, rituals. And so that's with unbelievers. Uh, some, I heard one professor who tried to make uh, like chapter 9 and such only about believers, but there are considerations about unbelievers in here too, even though uh, maybe his central focus is on uh, 
weaker brothers and such, but with the liberty there are other things. So uh, eat what's uh, set, set before you uh, without raising a question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who inf- informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So here you have a weaker brother who's maybe eating with him, maybe even with uh, with a unbeliever who's serving. And they realize this was offered to idols. And they think back to their pagan ways and think that they'd be participating in their old idolatry. And it, it would inflict their and harm their, their conscience. And they'd think they're sinning against God. And so now Paul's saying, don't eat. And not because of, not because of your conscience. Uh, so if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? And so there's also this issue of guarding Christian liberty. As we talked about last week, the weaker brother is not the legalistic brother. When so-called people are claimed to be or others label them as, oh, they're just maybe the weaker brother. Or maybe they say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just more weak. But they're using it to lay commandments and prohibitions on uh, other Christians that God hasn't commanded or where God hasn't commanded or where he hasn't prohibited. Now they're becoming a false teacher and a legalist. And so Paul's also warning, yeah, for the weaker brother, for his conscience, you know, maybe just don't, don't eat. Don't, don't entice him to do what would uh, offend it. Uh, maybe there are certain uh, movies or maybe someone could go to the, the theater uh, within their Christian liberty. Uh, there are certain things in the theater that uh, objectively Christians ought not to watch that would be downright sinful. Uh, there are some things that are outright pornographic or uh, as uh, some have used the word, Grant Horner, pornographic or pornography, uh, where it's just gore. Uh, some horror movies are, are so extreme uh, where it's just perverse. Can you move about a bit? The lights went off. Might, would, would you maybe move to the back of the room? <laughs> maybe just to the middle. <laughs> uh, this, this might get us through. Uh, but, and so there, there are some things that are just off limits, but other things where maybe God hasn't laid a clear uh, command, prohibition, a principle, but for uh, for some Christians, because they're past life, uh, there are some things I know uh, coming out of my background with uh, film, uh, and not everything, but uh, there there are some things that I would watch, uh, so-called like artsy movies and such, uh, that were so vile, so wicked, so deplorable that. Uh, I lost almost all interest in film. Uh, and and there, there, there may be, you know, there, there are things I could watch uh, fine within my, my Christian liberty, although you have to watch with discernment. As uh, Grant Horner has said, uh, Pollyanna may be one of the most dangerous movies that has ever been made. You, you can get a, a movie rated that's rated like G. Christians let down their guard and don't realize this is not a biblical worldview at all. Oh, Let's, uh, how about the, the movies where 
uh, absolutely no one sins and, and everyone's just nice to one another and this and that. That's not a biblical anthropology uh, doc- doctrine of man. <laughs> you know, if there's no sin, now there are some sins if they're depicting in the movie uh, or whatever. Don't even put your eyes on it. You don't fill your mind with uh, with that stuff. But um, just the, there are some movies that you might think aren't uh, aren't dangerous. Uh, you, you better come with a Christian Christian worldview. And if you're just utterly imbibing everything that's on television and, uh, and popular books and music and movies, and that's all that you immerse yourself with, um, your mind's not going to be uh, renewed. Uh, you have to be in scripture and in, in uh, prayer. But anyway, there, there are some there are some movies, you know, maybe even more so in the past, but uh, that maybe I'd be more sensitive. And well, I'm just I'm not going to go there. You know, I don't want to I don't want to fill my mind with that. And you know, maybe push pushing the edge or, or something for uh, for me and. Uh, others can maybe uh, within their Christian liberty, uh, they can uh, exercise it and, and do that. But uh, and so the weaker brother is not the the legalistic uh, brother. And so in a case like that, you know maybe if I'm like a new convert or something, uh, where today I'm not really going to worry about uh, you know by God's grace going along with the the crowd or anything like that. Um, but uh, if the weak, once uh, so-called weaker brother, I, I've heard that sometimes for legalists. Oh, maybe they're just weak. Maybe they don't know. No, they're going into false teaching, uh, and so Paul warns about that too. As there are a lot of considerations with Christian liberty and weaker weaker brothers, and so uh, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I being denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So. Okay, tying, tying it all, all up with a bow. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So that uh, ties the, the whole section together. But let's look at uh, chapter 9. I just want to point out a few examples uh, where Paul, in a very tight section, uh, can have positive statements and, and negative statements. Even with negative, as uh, if we had had time, maybe we'll do it uh, next week if, if people want to. Uh, but in Romans seven, otherwise uh, Youth Bible Day, we uh, covered uh, Romans Romans seven. But you see that the law, even as Law covenant, uh, it was uh, holy, righteous, and good. Uh, and so the, the negative statements are not absolute in the sense that even in the function of God's law, uh, bringing condemnation, uh, punishment for sin, uh, bringing under uh, imprisonment, holding accountable, and making known just how wicked and vile sin is, uh, the law was holy, righteous, and good. Uh, the, the problem, the problem is us. Uh, we're, we're, we're the problem, uh, and it's indwelling sin uh, that's the, uh, the, the ultimate uh, problem. And so when you talk about negative statements, 
some of the negative statements are more for protecting the gospel. And he's always dealing with legalists, with Judaizers, with uh, those who want to bring people back under uh, the Torah as covenant, uh, as legal code. And so he, he uses sort of an aggressive form of argumentation to, uh, to refute that. And some things, they're negative in the sense that the old covenant couldn't perfect anyone. Uh, we, we, needed, uh, we needed the new, we, we needed Christ to come with the new covenant uh, to, to bring about uh, and fulfill all of God's covenantal blessings and promises. Uh, in, in all of his covenants, all of his covenants of promise, as uh, Paul talks about in uh, Ephesians 2. Uh, and so uh, the, the negative is not like absolute in an absolute sense. So uh, let's, uh, now Paul uh, illustrates just from him, himself uh, having liberty but giving it up in, in his uh, gospel ministry. Am I not free? Assumptions, yes. Am I not an apostle? Yeah, he's an apostle. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me about his uh, liberty. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Or it's like a sister wife. Uh, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. So the other apostles, brothers of Lord, uh, at least James and Jude and uh, Cephas, Peter, they have the liberty and apparently exercise of these liberties, take along believing wife and such. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier? So now he's kind of reductio ad absurdum, uh, giving examples that uh, show the, the folly, the inconsistency of insisting that Paul's not free uh, to, uh, in Barnabas uh, to refrain from working for a living. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard uh, without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Of course, soldiers don't serve at their own expense. They get support to serve in the military. And that expeditions and fighting, and uh, they're supported in their service. Uh, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Well, a farmer or a vineyard worker shares in the fruit of their labor uh, when the, the harvest uh, comes. And so no one, no one, no one. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? No one. No one does this. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? So he's quoting it positively. He's even quoting the Torah as an authority. Uh, here. Also, scripture, it's profitable for training in righteousness. And you can look at the, the whole, whole list for, for moral guidance. Uh, and so we're going to see him appeal a couple times to the Torah, uh, to the so-called uh, maybe civil law and the so-called ceremonial, followed by ultimate appeal to Christ, uh, the Lord, uh, his, his own teaching, uh, the, uh, the, the mediator of the new covenant. 
So these things are in harmony. So uh, do I say these things on human authority? As scripture, it's divine. It's God-breathed, divine authority. Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? Uh, It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So, for it is written in the law of Moses. Here's his first argument, showing that they should be able to not be criticized for uh, receiving something for their labor in the gospel and ceasing from working for, uh, for a living, but working in the gospel. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Uh, and that's taken from uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, and that sounds kind of like a civil law. Dealing with things like farming and how they were to, uh, to, to deal with, with harvesting and uh, threshing uh, the, the wheat and separating the wheat uh, and the, the, the chaff and the, the kernels of, of grain, that sounds kind of civil. Uh, but uh, many say that the civil, well, we're, we're not Israel and the, we're not under a theocracy. So, But Paul here, he draws from the, the civil. And so uh, theonomists might be like, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, Jesus, he made all things clean, foods and those sort of things, and uh, maybe ceremonial along with that. But, uh, but uh, you know, uh, we, we still have to participate in government and stuff. And uh, he, he didn't... He didn't say he, he abolished the, uh, the civil. And so, uh, you know, they might, uh, they might use this as support. Uh, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? And uh, we really have time. We talk about it a bit. If you read in context, there is a major concern for humans uh, in Deuteronomy as you read, uh, read through. Uh, as uh, Daniel Block uh, says, it uh, largely goes from like some of the kind of greatest in society to the least and ultimately to, uh, to oxen. Uh, I think you even have like widows and orphans and such. But if you read it uh, in, in context uh, and you're, you're under the, the Mosaic Covenant and you're out uh, th- threshing maybe and uh, uh, Moses uh, come, comes along and says, hey, What's that ox doing, muzzle? Why, why do you have the ox muzzle? He's threshing grain. Let him, let him eat some of the grain. Uh, didn't, didn't I command you this? Moses, you know, God's only concerned about humans. He doesn't care about oxen. Uh, I don't think it'd go over too well with, uh, with, uh, with Moses. Uh, you, you can read in context. He is very concerned with, with humans uh, made, made in his image. Uh, oxen, oxen aren't. Uh, but uh, Paul and prophets and apostles... Uh, they often use, well, uh, discourse linguistics, uh, fancy words. They uh, often talk about like a counterpoint point to set off a point. You deny something to then set off what you affirm, uh, the, the bigger point. But prophets uh, often do this to emphasize uh, not the lesser, but the greater. Not the light, but the, uh, the, the heavy. Uh, they, uh, to make a valid application uh, from texts. So, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? He's making a lesser to, to, to greater argument. Humans are made in the image of God. Uh, of course, they're more important than oxen. And so uh, he makes uh, application. You can find prophets uh, 
Does God desire burnt offerings and sacrifices? Uh, doesn't he want justice? Well, he kind of commanded burnt offerings and sacrifices, but they're, they're emphasizing justice is more important. If you're going to neglect that, forget the, forget the hypocritical uh, offerings uh, because uh, justice is it's weightier, or weightier uh, the, the weightier things of the, uh, the, the law. And so some, some commentators try and like go around it. But as I said, we take the bull by the horns. Uh, prophets and apostles often, you know, deny the lesser, affirm the, the greater to, to make application. And uh, I think I was kind of thinking, but uh, one quoted like Martin Luther saying, of course, you know, Deuteronomy, uh, God didn't uh, write Deuteronomy for oxen to read. <laughs> oxen can't read, you know, it's for, for uh, instruction of his people. So, here, you, you kind of have a civil thing going on here. Uh, it was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much? We reap material things from you. So the gospel, preaching the gospel. You know, like an oxen, they, they should be able to, uh, shouldn't be muzzled. Uh, they, they should be able to eat. And uh, then uh, he also draws from a so-called ceremonial law it sounds kind of like uh let's see in uh verse well uh just beyond 12 uh, if others share in this rightful claim on you do not we even more nevertheless we have not made use of this right but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of christ so they rather work for a living and take nothing rather than put an obstacle in the way way of the gospel and the Corinthians should, should uh, this is a model for, for them with Christian liberty. Uh, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? That sounds, that sounds ceremonial. You know, with the priests, the offerings, the sacrifices. Well, that's not still standing uh, today. I, I thought Christ fulfilled the, the ceremonial and uh, the civil. Uh, we're, we're not under a theocracy in Israel, so you know we don't, we don't keep that, but we're just left with the moral. And you know, maybe some principles uh, in, uh, from civil or something we, we can draw. But uh, here, he's, that sounds quite ceremonial. If that's not ceremonial, what is? Uh, and so, uh, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service, get their food from the temple. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. As the sacrifices came, God gave the sacrifices that were to him, to them. He made, he made provision uh, for them. Where, uh, much of it, they could uh, even, even uh, take uh, sometimes a larger, larger portion. Uh, God was their portion, and as they brought sacrifices, uh, he, uh, they, they shared uh, in the, the offerings to, to him. And now he concludes. So uh, we, we had a couple examples from the Torah. Uh, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Sending out the 12, sending out the 70, uh, wherever you go, uh, any, any uh, house that receives you, uh, greet that house. If there's a son of peace uh, there, uh, remain there. And whatever's set before you, take uh, they, they were to go basically with the clothes on their back, staff in their hand, you know, wh whatever they, uh, they had. They weren't to get additional provisions and get support. Uh, God 
provided for them and in preaching the gospel, they were to receive support uh, from those who who came to believe and, and welcomed them. So ultimately, he appeals to the Lord. And so what he's been drawing from is all consistent with Christ's uh, own own teaching. Uh, and so it is with the whole Torah. Uh, he can draw from historical narrative. He can draw from so-called uh, moral, civil, ceremonial bits or sections of law, genealogies, all his uh, prophecy, his wisdom uh, for, for instruction as Torah, as scripture. Uh, but not as... Uh, Law covenant that brings a curse. And so, uh, finally, there, there are just a couple last contrasts I want to show you. Uh, let's read a long couple verses or so. Uh, but I have made no use of any of these rites, like the Lord taught uh, and in the Torah, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's the very thing he was commissioned to do, uh, to preach it. He's, he's obligated. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make my full use of my right in the gospel. To make it free, that's his reward. To make it free, put no obstacle uh, in anyone's way to the Jews, Gentiles, in the church, to, to unbelievers. He, he uh, lets go his own, his own rights, his own provision for uh, the sake of the gospel, for love for others and for the glory, the glory of God. And so now he, uh, he explains uh, his, uh, his uh, freedom in, in what he's done, giving, giving up his liberty. For though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside. He goes on. Just look at this, this first one. So uh, he says, uh, verse 19, for though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them to the Jews. These are unbelieving Jews. I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. As you go to the synagogues, preach the gospel and such. To those under the law, Jews, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Wait, Paul, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, although not really, not really. I'm not really under the, uh, the law, though being myself, or, or though not being myself under the law. He's not really under it. Paul, What's going on? You were being a legalist. You were putting us back under the law. You said it was an authority. And now, are you an antinomian? I'm not under the law. You know, I, I'm, I'm lawless. I can do whatever I want. Paul, what's going on here? It's law covenant. <laughs> He's not under the, the Mosaic covenant uh, that brings a curse. Uh, the, the, the law as law, as legal code, as law covenant. 
uh, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. He's not really under it. To those outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Although, not, not, not exactly. Not being outside the law of God, that's a different expression, but under the law of Christ, uh, that I might win those outside the law. And there's a counterpoint point. Uh, not being outside the law of God, but, positive, under the law of Christ. There's a change. He uses different term terminology. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. And on top of it, we see Paul, he uh, negatively, he polemically repudiates the Torah as law covenant. I'm not really under it. I, I, I became as one <laughs> under it, giving up my liberty with Jews. Uh, I'll eat what they eat. You know, uh, he, he could even uh, attend synagogue on, on Sabbath uh, with my fellow Jews. Uh, even early on, you know, some of the Jewish uh, converts, the early church apostles, uh, they go to the temple uh, and they uh, they uh, have Sabbath, but then on like the Lord's Day, so uh, Saturday, but then sort of there, what we call Saturday, and then Sunday, and the week in the uh, beginning. Uh, and Paul could even go and he could uh, uh, take take vows and such. And uh, as uh, the, the the temple wasn't fully uh, removed yet, and so he'll he'll eat as a Jew. He, he's free to to eat what Gentiles eat. You know, he's not under the, as law covenant. Uh, but uh, then he, uh, he radically replaces the law, uh, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He radically replaces it uh, with uh, new covenant themes and ideas. And the law of Christ, it's, it's not just, as Brian S. Rosner says, just new legal bits or something like that, legal code. But there, there are differences in, in what it emphasizes in the culmination, the fullness um, not not in the, the old way of, we don't serve in the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the spirit. Uh, walking by the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. Faith working through love. Uh, all of these uh, all of these emphases. And there are some little, little things that were under the, the Mosaic Covenant, but there's, there's a fullness uh, in greater promises, greater blessings under the, uh, the new one. So he polemically repudiates the Torah as Torah, or as law covenant, but then he radically replaces the Torah law as theological motif or, or new covenant themes and uh, ideas. Uh, and he wholeheartedly reappropriates uh, the Torah as, as scripture. Some sense retains. It was always a source of wisdom and teaching, uh, even under the, the old covenant, not just, you know, not just commandments. Uh, you, you get in trouble with that. Uh, they needed circumcised hearts too. They needed their sins forgiven. They couldn't keep it perfectly. And so uh, here, uh, you just see this uh, contrast where we saw him using it as scripture for instruction as was consistent. God's work in creation, like with marriage and things like that. Uh, but uh, with the, the new covenant, uh, Jesus and his apostles and prophets. But then uh, he can uh, go, go negative just a moment later. Uh, just read one last time. To those to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Verse 20, 
to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he's not, he's not lawless. Law, law of God, law of Christ, uh, the, uh, the, the, the new, new covenant. And uh, with the Gentiles, uh, he's not sinning, of course, but he can give up uh, certain, certain liberties where, okay, I can eat that, but you know, maybe, maybe I'll just uh, refrain from eating things that gross out the Gentiles or uh, some, something like that. Uh, or maybe they wear uh, maybe they wear robes or something. I'll wear a robe, you know. Uh, I'm free to to wear other kind of clothing, but so long as he's not participating in their pagan rituals. And here, really, uh, not not demanding to to, to receive something uh, for teaching the the gospel, but to do it for free of charge. Even when he has to work, all all the harder. And so, uh, to the week I became weak that I might win the week, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And he ends. And then he starts to go in to talk about not being disqualified. And so I hope that's uh, helpful. If you listen, some of the things uh, we had some repetition with last week, and then our uh, Romans 8 class, which I can also uh, post. Uh, I hope it just helps to better understand the, the Torah and how to avoid legalism, how to avoid going back to the Torah as law covenant and coming under its curse, uh, but then recognizing it's, it's profitable uh, for even training in righteousness as, as wisdom, as scripture, uh, and we're, we're deprived with, without it. Uh, all scriptures God breathed, uh, and it's, it's profitable and sufficient uh, for, for the man of God in, in, in the ministry and body of, of Christ. And so... Uh, let's just uh, pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you uh, for your Apostle Paul and just for the power of your word and the wisdom. And uh, I thank you for, uh, for your son, for sending him to uh, fulfill all your covenants of promise, to uh, fulfill uh, the Torah uh, as, as law covenant, as covenant uh, bearing the the curse for us and uh, and uh, living the the perfect righteous life that we couldn't live so that we could be clothed in his righteousness and forgiven and not come under the curse and condemnation uh, of uh, your good and holy and righteous uh, law and and covenant uh, and we also thank you uh, for uh, for the Torah that uh, it teaches us, it's uh, it's God breathed, uh, it's it's holy scripture, and it's for our instruction in, in wisdom and for uh, for teaching us about the one who was to come and uh, and all your work that uh, that you uh, have fulfilled in your Son. And I uh, thank you uh, that uh, we can uh, understand these things and. Uh, we can uh, learn uh, from your uh, prophets and, and apostles and uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and you spoke finally and authoritatively through him. And I pray that we be taught by you and by your son uh, through your Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And uh, we give you uh, and 
our Lord, all, all the glory, and pray in his name. Amen. Amen.